You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Oh, thanks, Brad. It's encouraging. Brad, uh, I've known Brad for ages. Brad was um, a student of mine at Vanderbilt. I mean, goodness. How many moons ago was that, Brad? That was, <clears throat> was so wonderful to see a part of our church and, uh, and just people who are coming together to worship. And as, you know, as we, as we move into this passage, I have to say, it's one of the uh, most... <laughs> Difficult passages to not only read, but to go, okay, Jesus, seriously? Like, really? Love your enemies? You know, we live in a culture where it's easier to, to, to hate your enemy than any other time. Social media makes it that way, right? I mean, you know that, you know that feeling when you actually run into somebody, right? When you're in a store or you're, you're in a restaurant and you see somebody that they may not be someone you just hate, but someone that makes your stomach kind of turn a little bit, there's just some negative reaction that you have. That kind of, uh, and, you, and you start to go, okay, I can avoid. I can go to the bathroom. I could maybe just smile through my teeth and talk. And then there's the times where we can be on the internet and we can have that space and we can hate on people all we want. We scroll. We actually follow the people we would consider enemies which I think is kind of interesting. There's more anxiety produced from the internet and social media because of that, because of those broken relationships that people have. It's, it's, it's calculated. It's not, this isn't like a, oh, I talked to somebody the other day. This is like factual data. That we have more anxiety because of enemies that we see on social media that we follow than any other time. You know, even just historically talking about enemies. I was reading an article the other day that was talking about uh, that TV show, The Americans. I don't know if you've ever seen that show before or seen it. It's, it's kind of on the rise. It's one of the biggest shows right now on television. And it's basically these Russian spies who live in America, and it's shot during the 80s and during the Cold War, and, um, and, and how they are kind of you know, diabolical and all these things. But, but it's really interesting because the, the, the whole premise of the show and the article was saying how the whole point is that we're looking at historical enemies and now seeing that they're actually people, right? We're putting flesh on them. We're not just saying, no, they're over there. They're here. What are they really like? What's it like to be them? There's this weird empathy in that. Isn't it interesting when we talk about enemies, when Jesus begins this, now he goes up on a mountainside and these people come to him and they expect him to help them free them from their enemies. They are in, under oppression. They're in a place and a time where a government is pressing them down, essentially saying, you have no rights, you, you have no real life here except for what we give you 
kind of like a fish in a fishbowl. We'll give you this much freedom and that's all you have. And they're expecting Jesus, who is the one who's to be the Messiah, who comes up, he's already displayed himself with major authority. And then he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. That would not compute. As I read some, some one theologian say, this is the most unreasonable commandment that Jesus could give us. <laughs> this is the most unreasonable one. If you think about it, th- th- it really is. Look, if you really, I'm going to start here instead of in here. If you really want to say that you follow Jesus Christ, if you really want to know what it means, this is what it means. It means that you have to get over yourself, and so do I. Because we cling and we hold too tightly the, just the delicious love that we have to have to hate people. We love to hate people. We love to have enemies. And an enemy for us may not look like them. It may not be government oppression. But we're, we have enemies all around us. And we even like making enemies. We're good at that. We're we're pros at it. So this morning, I, I really want us to look at kind of three questions. I think it's be the easiest way to look at this passage because Jesus really lays us out. <laughs> who is an enemy? How do, we, how do we define that? Who is an enemy to us? Okay. How do we love our enemies? And then why should we, really? The who, the how, and the why. So let's, let's look at that. So who are your enemies? You know, Immediately when we talk about that, you may think of a certain person. I kind of hope you do. I kind of hope you have a face in mind. Maybe it was that person that was picking on you when you were a little kid. Maybe that's the person that lives around the block from you. Maybe there's, it's the face of the person in your neighborhood or in this city that represents everything that you wish you could be, but you just hate that and you hate them. You see, enemy can be defined in a million different ways. It's very crafty. And we wouldn't say that because when maybe when we think of enemy, we think of somebody who's just, you know, the persecutor, this really bad person. But think about it. I was listening to NPR some time ago, and they were talking about haters online. Why is it that we hate each other so much online? And it was a specific comedian who that they call trolls, these people who will go online and just begin saying horrible things and attacking. And this person actually, uh, this woman, this comedian, whose father had died not too long ago, one of the trolls created a Twitter account faking this uh, woman's father and began tweeting about her. And she finally confronted him, and, and he confessed, and you could hear it on the radio. It was fascinating to hear this confession, forgiveness. She, crying, said, why did you do this? And he said, I have no idea. I don't know you. I've never known you. Creating enemies is just a part of our hearts. It's a part of us, and it's so easy, especially, and think about it, social media makes it easier for us because we don't have to deal with the flesh part. We don't have to deal with the real face. In the South, we're really good at kind of that niceties or avoidance or don't say anything at all. 
which is not healthy either. But what the internet's done is allowed us to put a face on it so far away that we never have to worry about it. In fact, it says that when people are online, the anger, the emotion of anger actually spikes in them. If you can believe it. (laughs) It spikes that people love to hate online. There's something about that. And what Jesus is getting at when he says, you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, this is what he's doing. He's saying, but I say to you, right? Now what he did was he wasn't just saying, if you look it up, there isn't a commandment that says hate your enemy. What had happened was they had taken that legalistically and added hate your enemy. They had taken love your neighbor, which is actually a commandment, and added hate your enemy because they said, anyone outside the parameters of my actual literal neighbor, I can hate. That means they were saying, anybody that is not of my tribe, anyone that is not of my race, anyone that is not of my distinction or common interests can be my enemy. Do you see what they're doing? They're, they were limiting their self, not on who they could hate, but on who they would love. And everyone else could not fit into that circle. So enemy wasn't defined as just a persecutor. It was defined as anybody outside of their circle. Anybody that does cause your stomach to have that negative turn when you see them, when you think about them, when you hear their name, that's an enemy. That's that person. Enemies can be even small enemies. Anybody, an enemy sometimes is somebody that we disagree with, that we see the next time. It could be our spouse. We could be living with our enemies. Is that person you disagree with, somebody at work, somewhere, and you go, every time you see them, all you can think about is the disagreement. You're starting to create an enemy. You may think I'm splitting hairs, but that's actually what Jesus is speaking to. He's saying we make legalistic who we love because it's easier for us to keep out. We limit our love because it's easier for us. And why is it? And Scott Sauls, who preached here last week, is the lead pastor at the central location, has said this, and I love the way he says this. He says, why is it that Christians seem to be the ones who are so easily offended and so easily offendable? Why are we the ones that oftentimes put ourselves in positions of creating more enemies and pursuing and becoming enemies than not? Isn't that one of the reasons why, maybe many of you here are hearing this sermon and saying, yes, I've had this reaction. I actually find Christians to be enemies to me. Why is it that we are? It's because we have taken the commandment and we've limited it. We have taken love and we've legalized it. And we've done exactly what Jesus is saying we shouldn't do. Notice that. So how do we love? Here's the thing, and this is where I wanna camp out most, is how do we love? If that's the truth, he spends the majority of loving your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So both practically, Jesus is talking about, he's saying, now before I launch into this, he's saying practically and spiritually. He's not just saying, okay, everybody, let's leave here feeling better because we can pray for our enemies, which most of us won't do anyway. And when we do, we pray that they would just get out of our lives. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is saying both practically and spiritually, we move towards our enemies. Move towards them. And the first way we do that is by knowing legal love. How do I love them? Legal love. Look, one of the things that the Bible talks about is, is this word justification. Right? It's a legal word. It's a word that means a forensic righteousness. It means that you're either declared, approved, or you're not, right? And so oftentimes what we do with that is we look at our enemies as putting them on a bad hook and us on a good hook. We legally love them by saying, well, mm, you're bad and I'm, I'm good. Or maybe you're ba- I'm bad and they're good. Maybe every time you see them, you can't think of anything but how bad you are. That's still an enemy. That's somebody who's forcing you to think or making you think in another way about yourself. But you still see them in that light. It's, it's a good hook, bad hook. It's when you walk into a room, and you, maybe even like this one this morning, and you see somebody across the aisle or you see somebody out in the city and you immediately think one up or one down. You think I'm a one up person? I'm one up on them because I have this or I've done this or you have to go there. Or maybe you go one down. Maybe you say, man, they're much better looking than me. They're much more successful than me. They live in the neighborhood I wish I was living in. Where do you put yourself? We do this one up, one down all the time and that's how we handle legal love. But the Bible, when it talks about legal love, it says we're all on a level playing field. Notice what he says here. This is interesting, and it should actually force us to feel a little uncomfortable. Jesus says, so you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Did you hear that? Both the good and evil, God sends rain. He causes the sun to rise. So two things there. One, yes, there is a distinction of good and evil. There is no weird middle ground here that's being talked about. But two is, yes, God actually cares and sends what's called common good grace on both. They're leveled. There's a level there of this legal love. Nobody is approved on any other basis than on God's basis. There's no good or evil that gets one or the other more. The rain and sun fall on both. God is saying this love, you cannot put one on a good hook and one on a bad hook. How do you do that? Do you see what Jesus is trying to get them to do and what he's trying to get us to do? He's trying to say, stop forgetting how messy you are when you approach everybody else. Why do, you, why do you lose the fact that you are, you are a total mess, you're a disaster, that who you are, your sin, your brokenness, when you look at that person on your Insta feed? Why do you forget that when you see them across in the parking lot? What do you do with that? David Brooks, who's a great New York Times writer, he wrote this article called Conflict and the Ego. Listen to what he says. He says, clearly the best way to respond is to step out of the game. It's to get out of the status competition. Enmity is a nasty frame of mind. Pride is painful. The person who can quiet the self can see the world clearly and can learn the subject and master the situation. 
Someone who can actually step back and see themselves for who they are. And that's not even like an article talking about this passage. I just thought it was fascinating that the ego in conflict is where we go. Instead of us actually making sense that we are leveled. We demand justice rather than we demand mercy. That's what legal love is talking about. But yet, Jesus is saying, all of us, really, deserve justice. We all deserve it. How do we receive mercy? God even gives mercy to those who we would deem evil, right? And yet, that is how we handle it. How do we step back? We step back by not putting someone else on a bad hook and us on a good hook, by seeing ourselves as level. Our sin is just as bad. We cannot hold people up to our standard. If we do, then you've already made an enemy. The moment you've done that, because your legal standards for them and for you are on you, not on God. And what does it say even at the end of this? Probably the hardest phrase. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If you think you're good and perfect, then look at the real standard. The heavenly father, the one who is perfect. Where does legal love come from? The second is relational love. How do we do this? What if there's a breach in relationship, right? What if there is a breach, right? This is where where it comes in. It's what if we're really wronged by someone? How do we handle that wrong in us? What do we do with that? We need to learn to draw boundaries. Like everywhere in the Bible, like we can't, if you take this passage just as itself, and not weigh it with everything else, we can lose the wisdom of how to live in a relationship healthily. Because it's not just saying you go right back into the relationship. It's not just saying you bring an enemy into your house and you feed him dinner. It's not necessarily what he's saying. But he is saying you, you do go back in a relationship. You do, there is forgiveness there. But forgiveness also has trust in it. It has boundaries. There's wisdom Matthew 18, a passage that comes right after Matthew. Matthew, who was himself, by the way, a tax collector. So notice when he even says, do not even the tax collectors do the same. Don't you know Matthew was thinking, he's talking about me. But he's saying that in Matthew 18, when there's a relationship that's broken, when you have created an enemy, so to speak, when there's a broken relationship, that you go to them, you pursue it. But there's only to a point, if if they're unwilling, if there's an unwillingness for forgiveness to enter, then the relationship must have a boundary. There's a relational breach. There's a brokenness. And notice what he says even here. What does it mean to give them over, uh, to forgive someone's debt? There's a relationship separation here. It means you need to work. If there's an enemy in your life, to love an enemy means maybe one of two things. You need to go to them and you need to see if it's repairable. That's what the gospel is actually calling us to do. Is it a place to repair the relationship? Can you do that? Are you willing to do that? And if not, does there need to be a healthy boundary yet without anger and enmity. So first off is how much do we pursue? We should. 
Look, it says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You know, when he says love, it doesn't mean from a distance, you just kind of go, oh, I think I'll care about them now. It means practically stepping in. It means you doing the thing that's actually going to cause your stomach to turn because you're not making it about you. It means pursuing people with what's called a godly pity. It doesn't mean you view them as less. Loving them, loving them doesn't mean you go, oh, and you see them as less, as pitiful. Godly pity means that you go, man, they're just a person. And so am I. There's somebody with a pulse. It means, like we said a minute ago, you take, you've already taken them off the bad hook or the good hook, and you pursue them relationally, knowing that that is where you go. It's, it's not a dismissal. It's not an excuse. It's a going and actually repairing because there's something deeper, more profound being, being, being done there. It's a relationship that's being forged because in God's eyes, what we're doing is we're making sense of him being the one who holds justice, not us. This is not talking about some, you know, civil thing. This is talking about our personal relationships, that we are not to hold justice. If, if we really believe in God, and really love his love, know that he's a God of love. We talk about this all the time. And this Protestant, in our Protestant Reformed theology, God is love and mercy. Do we really believe that? Because if we do, we're gonna love his justice too. And his justice means that we don't take on the position of judge. It means we step back. It doesn't mean we're not discerning. Don't get me wrong but it does mean that we're not the one who puts somebody legally on a bad hook and says they're unapproachable, they're irreconcilable. We're called to pursue, we're called to do it, we're called, this is why, does this now you understand even more seem why people call this the most unreasonable command? This is ridiculous. I mean, I, I for one, I'll tell you, I've run into people in the last, I've lived here for 12 years. I've run into people even in the last year that I see and I go, why does that, why does seeing that person do that to me? What is it doing to me? It's, it's causing me to be bitter, to be avoidant, to be anxious, to find ways that I can make myself feel better. That's exactly what it does. Do you hear do you hear what it does in you and in me? Jesus is not just saying love your enemies because it's just some sort of a, you know, change of stance. He's saying it because it actually is the gospel. The good news of Jesus means there's a relational change in us that needs to happen. What I read to you earlier about being a citizen, a new citizen, means that if we're gonna actually show People, who Jesus is, we have to show how he loves us. See, why is this important? Why is this important? Because we have to learn empathy. See, Jesus does this here. And here's what's amazing. When he talks about this, he's not saying that, that forgiveness isn't costly, right? 
He does say this, for, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have, right? Do you not even tax collectors do the same? Again, can you imagine Matthew writing this, hearing this? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing to others? Do you not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How in the world do we do that? Why should I care about loving my enemies? Why? Because there has been one who actually had to take on the cost. See, forgiveness does have a cost, right? To love an enemy is absorbing cost. It means we take on something. And in some cases, and I, will, I wanna say this as a caveat, because forgiveness also has to do with trust, that if you're in a space or in a relationship with an enemy where trust cannot be repaired, you can still have forgiveness and not have to have trust. That is important to know. If you're in an abusive relationship or have been, you're not going to receive that person back as an enemy to abuse you again. That would be unwise. Jesus is not talking about that. What he is saying is loving forgiveness means there is a practical movement and change of your character towards that person. So how in the world are you able to do even that? Because you must do as your heavenly father does is perfect. If he's perfect, think about this question. Why does Jesus end this way? Because if he's perfect and he enters into a relationship with people who are not, how do we know we're loved? Why is that possible? It's because forgiveness is both free and costly. Forgiveness is free, right? It's the thing we like to talk about, but it's costly. It costs someone. And it costs the one who's speaking. Here's what's incredible about Jesus and who he is. What he does in this passage and what he does with his enemies is to love his enemies so well that we cannot escape. See, Jesus is, is first the ultimate model here. He's the ultimate model who died rather than exclude his first, century's en first century enemies. Do you realize that? Jesus doesn't just talk a big game, he actually goes to death. Over and over, the disciples are saying, are you crazy? Why do you keep talking about the cross? That's for people who are enemies. The cross is for enemies of the state, enemies of, of, of our country, enemies of our religion. And Jesus says, I must go. If I don't die, not only as the model of love for my first century enemies, then you will have no part of me. And here's what's incredible about this. Jesus is our savior because he died rather than exclude his 21st century enemies. He's not just a good model or teacher. He has to be a savior. He has to be something more because this body and blood is given for enemies. That, that was actually the cost. You know, when an enemy was actually defined, oftentimes in the Old Testament, they were stoned, outcast, or something else. What do you think has to happen to Jesus in order to bring us in as friends? In order to remove the title of enemy off of your head and mine. Jesus gives his body and blood. He goes and dies 
and rises again so that you can come to this table and no longer come as an enemy, but as what he says in Matthew, as a son or daughter. You can now reflect a different character. You can reflect not the character of an enemy, but character of kindness. Character of your Father in heaven who's perfect, not because you are, but because Jesus has made you this. He has brought you to this. Praise God for this, for his love for us.